Alrighty. So we're going to be um, in 1 Timothy chapter number 2. If you want a Bible, there's one sitting right there. If you just want to listen, um, whatever you want to do. But uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, you'll find that near the very end. Um, and it's right after, uh, golly, Galatians, somewhere around there, after all those things. So if you want to look in the front, oh man, you're losing your Bible back there. Yeah, it was actually the... Uh, What's it after? Thessalonians? Yeah. All right. Right after Thessalonians, you'll find it at the back if you want to look in the front in your table of contents. It'll say 1 Timothy. Timothy. Yep, 1 Timothy chapter 2. So we're looking at, uh, continuing on where we've been studying, right? We looked at 1 Timothy chapter 1 a few weeks ago. We kind of went through the whole thing. and We saw um, that Paul is writing a book or writing a letter to his friend Timothy, right? He calls him his son in the faith. He is a, uh, we find out that Timothy is a young preacher, that he's been uh, ministering in a church that's in Ephesus, and Paul is trying to encourage him, right? He is being challenged right now, right? A lot of us in our own life, right, we see that, um, and I've even noticed in my own life as coming out of college and just being a young person in this world, you've got a lot of decisions to make, right? What career you want to take, um, you know, where the Lord's going to take you and lead you into ministry maybe, or uh, who you're going to marry, right? All these decisions that are coming in your life, right? You've got to buy a house, got to rent an apartment, right? All these things are going on, right? And so we find out Timothy is kind of being tasked by Paul to go minister in Ephesus, right? He's trying to figure things out. You know, he's just a young guy who knows he's been called to the ministry, um, and Paul's asked him to minister in Ephesus. And in Ephesus, it's a tough church to kind of minister around, right? There's a lot of tough people to talk to, um, a lot of people who don't believe in Jesus, right? This is an um, interesting moment in Christian history because, you know, it's not like the United States, right? We, we're blessed to, you know, anyone you talk to has at least some knowledge of who Jesus is, right? But in these moments, I mean, this is you know, a few hundred years after the death of Christ, right? So this this is fresh on people's minds, right? Um, and also he's trying to minister to people who believe in other gods, who believe in the sun god, the moon god, right? Who believe in all these Greek gods. So it's kind of a hard uh, people to kind of minister to. So we look at chapter 1, and we see that Paul is challenging Timothy to watch out for his church, right? There's some people teaching some bad things, right? There's people teaching uh, false doctrine. All right, and so what false doctrine is? It just uh, teachings or just um, lessons that are against the word of God. Right? They are not the word of God. And so we get through all of this. Paul continues to proclaim to Timothy, right? Look out for these people that are preaching false doctrines. Give them grace. Give them mercy. But solely preach the gospel of Jesus, right? Solely preach um, the gospel. And that is that Jesus Christ came, right? He died for our sins and that uh, we might have life, have it more abundantly, and that we might be forgiven um, if we would just believe in him. So we're going to start in verse number one tonight. We're going to read all of the chapter. I think it's only about, uh, let's see, it's 15 verses, so not too long. um, And we'll see what the Lord has for us. So verse one says, First of all, then, I urge that the supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. 
For this was, for for this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am the tell, I am telling the truth. I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Verse eight says, I desire that uh, then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands, without anger or quarreling. Likewise, also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel and modesty and self-control not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with the with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Man, a lot of interesting stuff to look at tonight. We're going to talk uh, specifically, you know, towards the end where, you know, what does Paul mean by when he says, let women learn quietly, right? And so we'll specifically talk about that eventually. But let's go back to verse number one, right? We, we learn that Paul is saying, first of all, right? First things first, let's figure some things out. First things first, I ask you and I urge you, that there be supplications, prayers, and intercessions and thanksgiving be made for who? What is he, who is he asking that prayers be made for in verse 1? And even into verse number 2, we see it towards the end, right? He says, all people, right? right? And in the church, right, as you look out for false doctrines, if you, as you watch out for false teachings, as you proclaim the gospel of God, I urge you, Pray for all, right? Give supplications for all. Intercede for all and give thanksgiving for all, right? Not just people within the church, but he says the kings in verse 2, right? That the kings and all those who are in high positions, that they we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So why is it important that we pray for our church? Why do you think it would be important to pray for our church or even to pray for each other, right? Why did We asked for prayer requests earlier. Why is it important to Ask for prayer request. Do what? It helps. Yeah, it helps, right? Prayer helps. Anybody else? Why is it important to ask for prayer? I'd say it's kind of like a direct message to God. Right, right. Prayer is this direct so message for God. Yeah. Definitely, right? And this also helps, right, whenever, you know, someone in here tells me a prayer request, right, I know where they're at, right? I know the problems that are going on in their life. I know what they're struggling with. I know um, the places where they truly need the help of God, right? And as Sarah mentioned, right, it helps, right, that God, as we talk specifically to him, as Andrew was saying, right, it is necessary that we talk to God, right? We must um, understand um, that God hears our prayers and our supplications. The word supplication means to earnestly ask, right? That when we come to the Lord, we earnestly ask Him for the things that we need in our lives, right? Um, Jesus says in His Gospels, right? Ask and you shall receive, right? If it's in the will of the Father, He will give you uh, what you stand in need for. We see continuing, He says, ask for prayers and then intercession. Does anyone know what intercession means? What it means to intercede for someone? If you had to take your best guess, what is the definition of intercession? So we think about a road. What is an intersection in a road? It crosses, it crosses right? Somewhere um, it's, it's like a, uh, a middle ground, right? And so what we see that Paul is not just asking Timothy to pray for people, 
And not just to ask for supplications to God for people, but he says intercede for people. Be the middle ground for people. And so we see that Paul is saying, as a pastor, as you're leading this church at Ephesus, stand in the gap for the people that need to hear God, right? In our lives, we stand in the gap for people to hear God, right? If it wasn't for us and and some people's lives, they might not ever see the gospel of Jesus, right? They might not ever get to see and hear the word of God, right? We must intercede for people. And we must thank God for the people in our lives, right? The people who have taught us and the people um, who have shown us the ways of the Lord, right? That they have uh, brought goodness into our life. And I think it's also interesting, right, that he doesn't just say for all people, but he specifically mentions the kings and the ones in high positions, so when we read Scripture and we, we uh, hear Scripture say that we should pray for our kings, what does that mean for us today? Who should we pray for if we should pray for our king? Who is like our king, I guess, in our, li- in our own life? In 2020? God? Okay. What, who else? We don't have a king, but we have a what? We have a president, right? Right, we have a president. We have God is still our king, right? We have to pray to the one that is ultimately over the kings, right? He's king of kings, lord of lords. We pray for these kings, right, that they would have a better understanding of who they are in line of God, right? And so we see Paul is saying to these to uh, to Timothy here in these moments, right? Pray for your church family, right? Intercede for your church family. Not only intercede for your church family, but intercede for your leaders, right? Intercede for the people who are over you, right? And he says to do this because you'll have a peaceful and a good life, right? He's asking his people and the church people, live a good Christian life, right? Live as people who are just good citizens, right? You're not stirring up any trouble. You're just being and living your Christian life in such a way that you're influencing even the king, right? If the king, right, he looks down and he sees people are are stirring up trouble, but he also sees this other group are the Christians, right? The Christians are supposed to be living the good life, right? Who are supposed to be helping the widows, helping the the people without families, right? The people who are doing good in the community, right? And as the king, right, you'll recognize those people and hopefully want to understand more about them, right? He says, do this that you might have a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way, right? That you would be calm, cool, and collected in every uh, moment that is going on. And so we know uh, throughout church history that Christians were persecuted for their, their faith, right? They were, um, they were killed, they were martyred, they were stoned, they were crucified, they were burned. All these different ways of, of being killed uh, for their faith. But they continued to live um, a good and a godly life. All right? So the first things that we see in verses 1 and 2 is the first focus of Timothy, right? Focus on your church, right? As a pastor, as you are leading the church here, focus on them, right? They're your flock. They're your shepherd, right? And as me as your teacher, right, my goal is to focus on you guys, right? right? You would hope I, I love you. You'd hope I uh, enjoy having you here, right? I'm, I love that everyone um, has come tonight, and right? I hadn't seen Sarah in so long. I'm glad to get to see Sarah again, right? Right, we want to enjoy, I want to enjoy y'all's company, right? I want to know um, where you're struggling in your life, right? I want to know how I can pray for you. I want to know how God's working in your life. Not only that, but I want you to know how I'm doing, right? Um, and as a pastor, right, we have Pastor Stephen who uh, tells us that how he's doing, right? He cares for his flock. 
So the first focus of Timothy is to focus on your church and to pray for your leaders. And as we're focusing on the church, uh, Paul continues chapter 2 to expound upon things going on in the church, right? So this is important to understand the context as we move forward, right? So we're looking at the church, right? Things that are going on within the church as we move forward. <clears throat> so he said, this is good and it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. It is good to pray for those um, and, and do those things that he says in verses 1 and 2, right? It's good in the eyes of God. He says, God desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ. All right? Man, some bold, uh, some bold verses here in the, these next two verses, right? He states the first claim that Jesus or God has come to be the Savior. What does the say? What does our Savior mean? What is the definition of a Savior? Someone who saves you, right? Simply that, right? And so, what do we? Uh, why does God have to come be our Savior? Why does God have to save us? Because we're covered in sin, right? That is straight to the point, right? We see that as Paul is proclaiming, right within the church. Right? As the church body, as you're praying for your kings, as you're praying for people within your church, we're praying and we're showing that we're living a godly and dignified life because God wants all people to come to the knowledge of Him. Right? God wants everyone to come to the knowledge of His Son, come to the knowledge of a Savior has come and died for me. Right? People want, he wants people to know that, right? to come to that knowledge of the truth. And if we uh, come to that knowledge and we understand that we have a Savior in our life and we understand that we're covered in sin, then we next will understand right, the importance of that. Right? We'll, we'll come to the, the knowledge of salvation. Right? As Christ has shown us, um, as He is this mediator. Right? We talked about uh, what intercession meant, meant earlier. What is a mediator? It's basically along the same lines. What is a mediator, though? How would you describe a mediator? Let's say me and Andrew are in conflict, right? We need someone to fill the gap. Who would that be? A mediator, right? We need someone to stand there for us, right? So um, if we see here that Jesus is a mediator, who is Jesus Jesus a mediator between? Right? We see that me and Andrew are in conflict, right? We need a mediator between me and Andrew to... to um, to help us get past our conflict, right, and eventually restore our relationship. So why is Jesus classified as a mediator? Who's he who's he, he restoring? He separates us from sin and God. Do what now? He separates us from sin and God. Right. Without right, right. As we are over here, right, we're sinful, full of sin. Jesus stands in the in the gap as the mediator to bring us to God. Important, right? As me and Andrew need our relationship restored, we most definitely need our relationship restored with God, right? As he has come to be the Savior for us in uh, the eyes of Jesus, right? It is important to understand, right, this uh, triune part of God, right? God, as he is the Father of, uh, of everything, right? We see Jesus come to be as the Son and the Holy Spirit working inside of us, right? So Jesus, in being the mediator, he says, continuing in verse number 6, he says, who gave himself as a ransom for all. Right? All right what is a ransom? A little like a ransom, like if you like, if you, like somebody lost a dog or something, they say the ransom is like five. Right. So it's just like, it's a payment, right? 
Something has to be paid for something else, right? And so we see Jesus has come to be a ransom for all, right? He has come to be a payment for everyone. In Romans 6.23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, right? All of us um, have had experiences with a job, right? We, we know what it's like to go work. And when we work, we usually get a what? We usually get a paycheck, right? I hope we get a paycheck, right? I'm not working for free, right? That is not, that's not why I'm going to work, right? I'm going to work to get a paycheck. And so what we see in Scripture, as it's telling us, because of the sin in our life, right, that we're covered with sin, as Sarah told us, right, as that is 100% true, we are required to pay something in return for that sin, right? So what can we do to pay for that sin? Right, we have to give our lives to Jesus, right? Because there's nothing else we can do. No amount of church going will save us. No amount of scripture reading will save us. No amount of prayer will save us. The only thing that can save us is if we believe in Jesus as that ransom for us, right? He had to pay his entire life as he spilled his blood, as he was crucified for my sin, right? Not just my sin, but all of our sins to be the ransom for us. And Paul says... This is the testimony that we have given in the perfect time, right? In the proper time. For this, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. So he's telling Timothy in these moments, right? Pray for your church, right? Be a leader in your church. Not only a leader in your church, but in your community as you pray for your, uh, your kings and for the people that are over you. And as doing so, you are proclaiming to them the gospel of God, right? That Jesus came to be a ransom for us, for all of us. And we're given this testimony, right? We've called to be a preacher. We've called to be this apostle for Jesus, this ambassador for Jesus to the Gentiles and to all of those who want to come to the knowledge of Jesus, right? So why, um, why would Paul be telling Timothy all this, right? As a preacher, why is it important to know these things that we've talked about? Yeah, or any Christian, right? Why is it important for any Christian to um, live a good Christian life in the community and to know the gospel? Why is that important? Right. We can spread the word. Why do we need to spread the word? To save more people. Right. To save more people. Why? Oh, because like you saying, if we know the word and what we're talking about, we don't have to like go to a Bible and be like, "Yo, hold on, real quick. Let me explain this. I just gotta get this out real quick." In a way, right? In a way, right? We, we begin as we continue to live the Christian life. You don't necessarily have to, um, uh, right? The Holy Spirit brings to knowledge the Bible that you've already learned, right? Not that we shouldn't continue to read it, but for some, sometimes it just comes natural, right? So as a preacher, as a Christian, I, I think, um, yes, this is written directly towards Timothy as a preacher, but I think it's also important to recognize that this is not just for a preacher, right? It's for Christians, right? Right? We must live good lives, right? Lives worthy of being uh, resembled, right? Lives worthy of being followed, right? Because, I mean, to be honest, half the time in, in our world and even in my own life, right, I don't live a life worthy of being followed, right? I don't live the best Christian life all the time, right? I'm not the best person all the time, right? But, you know, that's why it's important that we understand the, the meaning of the gospel, right? The meaning of the gospel is, yes, I don't live a perfect life, but God has come to forgive me of that, right? Yes, you don't live a perfect life, but God has come to forgive you of that, right? That is the message of the gospel. And he's come to seek and to save those that which are lost, right? And so all of us, 
in this room, in this church, as a Christian body, are called to be preachers, are called to be teachers and apostles of God's Word, right? to be ambassadors of God's Word. Any questions or thoughts before we continue? All right, so what we see a lot in what Paul's saying in here is protect something special, right? Protect something good that's going on in your life, right? Protect the church, right? Make that a sacred place for you, right? Make the make our even in your own Christian life today, right? Make the church a special place in your heart, right? Make God also a special place in your heart, right? He is um, special to you, right? He's done something good for you and in, in, in your life, right? He's saved you from all of your sin, right? And that shouldn't require from us, um, or it should require from us an obedience to Jesus, but it should uh, compel us to obey Jesus, right, and to follow Jesus, right? It should compel us to um, allow Him to have a special place in our heart. Why? Because He has shown us so much love and so much grace. Okay? So as we continue to move forward, Paul has talked about the church, talked about the community, talked about the gospel that's proclaimed in this community. And now what we see in verses 8 through 15 is a focus on the church, right? And so we read a lot of things about the way men should act and the way women should act, right? And so we have to keep in mind the context. The context is how people should react and act in the church, okay? And so what we see him say in verse 8, he says, I desire then... That in every place men the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Okay? So what does he mean by that? What does he mean that in every place men should pray? You should pray even when you're down, I mean up, and when you're not like Right? Okay. Anybody else? Men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Oh yeah, right. Not getting mad at God. Maybe not even. Uh, maybe praying in a way that you're not maybe cursing other people, right? Man, like man, God, you know that that you know Suzanne over there. She's really been driving me crazy, Lord. Could you just really just put her out of my life? Like no, like you don't pray to God that way, right? What did he, What did he say earlier in verse one? Right. Give thanks for all people, right? Get pray for all people in the right way. Okay. So have a have a right tone with God. Maybe have a right um, attitude towards people. Praying when we're even in the good times, not just the bad times, right? And this is a challenge for men to. He's saying, just pray, right? You know, as we talked earlier, as Andrew was saying, right? Prayer is this direct route to God, right? He's saying, pray, right? Earnestly pray with the Lord, right? That you would um, maybe uh, get through temptation. Get through persecution. Get through all the hardships going on in your life. Pray and earnestly seek God in these moments, right? Lift your hands to the Lord uh, without quarreling, without anger. And he says, likewise, we move forward in verse number 9. Also, women should adorn themselves with respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control. So what was going on in the church right now um, is what... What we saw in their context is that women were coming in and they were dressing all fancy, right? So they were wearing, you know, he says later later on, right, not without braided or not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly attire, all right. So when we think of gold, pearls, and costly attire, what do we usually think about? When jewelry, all right. 
And when we think of fancy jewelry, we think of almost maybe like a, uh, a fashion show or, you know, we got this runway walk, right? All these things going on where you just see fancy things going on. And so what we see, uh, what we saw back going uh, during Timothy's time in the church is that women were using church as a fashion show, all right? They were coming in and they were trying to show people how, how nice they looked, right? Not that you shouldn't look nice. I'm not saying that you shouldn't come to church looking, you know, the best that you can. I, I'm saying uh, they were doing it for the wrong reasons, right? They were doing it to show people, right, their fancy things, right? Out of a wrong heart, right? They weren't doing it to uh, look nice in the house of God. They were doing it to uh, show people, right, that they were nice, right, that they were fancy, right, that they had some money about themselves. And what Paul's saying is like, man, don't do that, right? What's, how does he say to dress? He says dress with modesty and with self-control, right? Come in church just to come in church, right? Don't come in church trying to draw attention to yourself because church is not about you, right? Church is not about the way you look. Church is not about the way that uh, people perceive you, right? Why do we come to church? What is the purpose of, of coming to church? Do what? To learn about God, right? To praise, to praise God, right? To worship God, right? Our main thing in coming to church is not about us, right? As many times as I, I, I you know, have probably used church in the same sense that these women have used, right? That you come in, you look as bad as you, like, nice as you can, right? Look as bad as you can. People uh, are like, people are going to look at me, right? People are going to see that I'm holy. People are going to see that I'm self-righteous. Um, but that's not right, right? The main goal of church is to come and show God how much we love Him, right? How much we want to praise Him. How much we want to serve Him. How much we want to worship Him, right? Because He's worthy of being praised and, and worshipped. Okay? So he says, continuing in verse number 10, But with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works, right? He says, if you really want to show people how good you're doing, you really want to show people your your costly attire or if you really want to show people um you know the good things going on in your life do it through the good works in the church right live a life of faith live a life of the gospel live a life that shows the world what god's doing in you through your good works right let your faith resemble and come out of your life and live in such a way where your faith is being shown to everyone right that's how you look good in the house of God, right? You don't look good in the house of God with the newest shoes and the newest clothes, right? You look good in the house of God by praising Him for the, all the mighty things He's done in your life, right? And then in praising Him, you, you praise Him in your uh, actions as you serve the community, right? As you serve fellow people within your church, right? As you sing and as you uh, give praise to God. What are some other ways that we can worship God? Music. Music. Right? God's given us talents, right? I, I can't play a guitar, but some people can, right? I can't play trumpets, a trumpet or a clarinet or anything, but some people can, right? I can't necessarily sing the best, but man, some people can, right? Right? And Sarah's saying, use that to serve God, worship God. What else? Maybe not just musical talents, but, you know, some people... Uh, All sorts I, of talents. Yeah. Some people are good at building things, right? I know we have a, uh, a committee here at the church that go out and help um, older people move furniture, right, that can't necessarily do it on their own anymore to build uh, furniture, right, who, who stand in need of things, right? Not just musical talents, but any talent, right? 
every talent's given from God, right? All of us have have some talent in, in some type of way to uh, fulfill the the Great Commission, right? To make disciples and to uh, bring the glory to the name of God. Okay. So what we see, right? We see um, the first focus of him is to. Focus on the church, right? Focus on how the church is living and how they're living in society. And in doing so, right, they're proclaiming the gospel, they're letting the gospel fill their lives, and their church conduct should view the same thing, right? Men should not be coming in, gossiping, and and, uh, quarreling with each other or maybe about people that are outside of the church, and women shouldn't come in trying to make it like a fashion show, right? Come in, let your focus be on God. Let your perspective be towards Christ, right? Don't let anything else be hindering you from prayer and from worship to God. All right, so now we move into some of the tougher parts of of the Scripture. So he says, verse number 11, Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. Okay? What does submissive mean? Give in in a way, right? Okay, okay. So to be submissive means that um, you're under someone's rule, or your, um, I guess that's the best way to put it, right? That um, you're kind of, um, you respect the, the authority that's kind of over you, right? You submit to that thing, okay? And he continues verse 12, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. All right, so let's think about this for a second. Um, in your life, right, you've come to Sunday school, hopefully for a few years, how many of those people of your Sunday school teachers have been women. How many of your Sunday school teachers have been women? I can't really? How did you make it? Right, let's, let's just think of teachers in general, right? Uh, Whenever you think of a teacher, you think of a woman, right? You think of a, a nice, you know, godly woman who, um, who has taught you many things, right? And so what I, I'm, I want to start off by saying this is what I think that the Scripture is not saying. I don't think that Paul's saying that women can't teach, okay? I don't think that Paul's saying that women aren't as smart as men. And I don't think that Paul's saying um, things along that nature. What I do see Paul saying is he's saying, um, and and I was listening to a a commentary about, you know, what was going on. And in this time, the way the church would work, I think, from what I remember, the men would sit on one side and the women would sit on the other side. It was just the way the culture was. And whenever the preacher was proclaiming the word of God, the women would yell across the aisle to their husband to ask him what the preacher was saying, right? To help them understand what the preacher was was saying, right? And so this was very disruptive in these moments, right? They couldn't, um, they were just not necessarily remaining uh, quiet during the sermon. And so what he was saying, what Paul is possibly saying, I'm not saying this is exactly what he's saying, is that just be quiet, right, during the sermon, right? When things are going on, right, when worship is going on, right, we, we remind ourselves that the context of what's going on is church conduct, right? How should you act in the church, right? And so what he's saying is remain quiet during the church service, right? When things are, are going on, right, don't just speak up in the middle of the church and to blurt out, you know, your question, right? Maybe save that for another time, right? Maybe wait until after church and then you can uh, move forward. All right, so he says, learn quietly with all submissiveness. And this also focuses on um, maybe a uh, submission to your pastor, right? Right. I um, can't necessarily go around saying I know better than Pastor Stephen, right? Because I don't, right? He's gone to seminary. 
I'm in seminary, but he's gone to seminary. He's passed. He's gotten through all of that, right? Who am I to um, not submit to him, right? Because he is, um, number one, been elected by God, right? God has led, them, led him to this church, and he has um, placed him in this position for a reason, right? And so that was one thing that we saw within the church. What was going on is Paul is uh, showing the hierarchy of the church, right? God has placed men in in the head um, of the church, right? He'll continue to say that um, about Adam and Eve, right? We saw Adam was created first, and we recognize God was telling us in these moments that the man is the head of the household, right? And we learn a, a lot through Ephesians especially that, um, yes, a woman should submit to her husband, but the way her husband should love the his wife is how? How should the husband love his wife? Does anybody remember what, they, what he says? All right. He says that, yes, a woman should submit to her husband, but her husband should love her in such a way that Christ loves the church. Okay. So how did Christ love the church? How did he demonstrate his love towards us? He got mad when a bunch of people started gambling. Okay, he did get mad. He did get mad when people were gambling uh, in the synagogues. All right, but we're thinking more along the lines of us as the church, right? As we see the body of Christ, right? How did Christ demonstrate his love to the body of Christ, to his body, to his church? How did he demonstrate his love to us? He sacrificed his love, right? I mean, his, his life, right? Right, that is important to what we see here, right? As um, we see Paul say, submit yourself to your authority, right? Submit yourself to your pastor. Women, submit yourself to your husband, right? In doing so, your submission will not be for nothing. Your submission will be to someone who loves you, right? Who's willing to lay their life down for you, right? That's the true love that we should see in these moments, right? We should submit to our preachers or maybe to our teachers. Why? Because they demonstrate their love towards us, right? Week in, week out, they proclaim the Word of God. Week in, week out, they show us the the new things that God has shown them this week, right? So let a woman learn quietly with submissiveness, submissiveness, right? I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she should remain quiet, right? Why? Because God has placed this man in this position, right? And he expounds upon that as we read verse 13. It says, For Adam was formed first, then Eve. Okay? So in Genesis, what do we see happen? Right? We can even go all the way back to the beginning of creation. What happens first? Anybody know what God created first? Light, right? In the beginning, there was light, right? God said, let there be light, right? And a lot of things followed, right? There was light, there was darkness, there was night, there was day, there was uh, sea, there was land, there was sea animals, there were birds of the air, there were um, animals on the earth, right? And then we see God come to man, right? He makes Adam, right? He brings about Adam out of the dust of the ground, right? There's this man that is created, okay? So he looks at creation, he sees that all that is good, but he looks at Adam, and he's by himself, and he says, oh man, it's not good that you're by yourself, right? It's not good that the man is alone. So he makes woman, right? And so what we find out in these moments, right? yes, Adam was made first, right? He, he is shown as, um, uh, as man being the first creation, but it's not good that he's by himself, right? He needs a helper is what Scripture says. He needs a woman, right? A woman is necessary in his life, right? He has to have a good woman in his life to, to continue to move forward. 
So we move and look at verse number 14. Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor, right? And so now we're, we're brought all the way back to the moment of sin, right, in our lives, right? And so what we see <clears throat> is that the woman didn't necessarily submit all the way to Adam's rule, okay, in a way, right? Adam um, hopefully told Eve that, man, you must not eat of this fruit, right? God has told us don't eat of any tree on this, uh, in this garden, right? Don't, you can eat of any tree except for that one, right? Don't eat of that one tree. But she was deceived, right? Not only was she deceived, but Adam was also deceived um, uh, later on. But what we see, right, is even in all of our lives, right, we have someone who's over us, right? Someone who hopefully um, knows Scripture better than us, right? Hopefully that uh, maybe even is closer to God than us, and they're leading us closer to Him also, right? Um, So, yeah. So the final thing that we see in verse 15 is... Uh, yet she, that is the woman, will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness and self-control. Right? So we see all these things that he's saying, you know, I don't allow a woman to uh, have authority over a man. But he says, you know what? There's something great that comes from women. Right? There, there's a holy task that they have. And that's bearing children. Right? It is great that Adam had a, had a wife. Right? It is great that we have mothers, right? If it wasn't for my mother, I would not be here, right? And I would not have been born into this world, right? It is a holy task that women get to have that men will never get to understand, right? I will never get to understand the pains of childbirth, right? I will never get to understand um, how that feels and, and what's that, what that's like, right? But as a husband, right, I'll be there for my wife, right, to love her through it all, right? Right? But in these moments, right, even in the church, right, a woman might not, um, is, is not permitted in, in the Baptist culture to be a pastor. Man, there's some things that women get to do that man, men will never get to have, have to do, right? Will never get to do, right? A woman has a holy task of bearing children. Not only bearing children, but he says if they continue in faith and love and holiness and self-control, right? As they continue to show their family, right, what it means to live in faith. As they continue to show their family and their children what it means to show love to this world, what it means to be holy in this world, and what it means to have self-control, right? A woman has a holy task of doing something. It has the holy task of living a Christian life um, inside the family, right? A family uh, is held together by its mom, right? What is a, uh, a lot of people always say, right, if mama's not happy, nobody's happy, right? Uh, the mom uh, holds things together. All right, so what is a, um, you know, why is Paul writing this to Timothy, right? As a, as a pastor, as a young preacher, why is it uh, necessary to maybe understand these things that we've read tonight? Why does a young pastor need to know about um, the holy task of childbearing? Why does the young pastor need to know how to tell his men how to pray or things of that nature? Right, he's got to be a good leader, right? Be a good leader. All right, what else? Right? Teaching him, right? Telling Timothy how just to, right, this, is, this is the way you should act, right? This is the way things should go. Okay, anybody else? Any other things that come to mind? Okay. So why is it important for us today, right? Why is this in Scripture, and why is God allowing us to read this tonight? How does it apply to our lives? 
Yep. Okay. Right, the Lord's taught us through the Scripture. So hopefully in the future, if it ever comes to uh, mind, the Holy Spirit can bring it to our mind. What else? How does this apply to our life? I think one thing that comes to my mind is just the uh, recognition of just good, holy Christian people in our in our church, right? People who have shown me love, people who have shown me grace, people who have shown me mercy, people who have um, loved me despite my sin, right? These people who have cherished me, right? Who have um, just loved me, right? That I'm I'm thankful for, you know, my dad's been my pastor or my youth pastor for my whole life, right? You know, thankful for men and, and women who have taught me and, and done things of that nature. Another thing that kind of comes to my mind is the right conduct in church, right? Do we come to church for the right reasons? Are we there to bring worship and honor and glory to God? Are we there for selfish motives, right? We, we need to keep those uh, in check. Okay. Is there anything else before we close? Any thoughts, questions, comments, concerns? I learned what a mediator is today. All right, what's a mediator? It's like the in-between. Yeah, right, and why do we need it? Because we need Jesus in order to get into heaven. Yes, 100% true, 100% true, right? And so as we move in our life, right, as we, you know, close from the night, I think, you know, maybe a, a main point of application um, is exactly probably what, what Sarah just said, right, that we would remind ourselves, right, how much we need a mediator, right? That we would remind ourselves how much this world needs a mediator, right? How much our president needs a mediator, right? So people need to, we need to pray for our president, right? Despite how you feel about him, right? He's our president, right? He's, he's there, right? God has placed him in this position, and there's nothing we can do about it until, you know, <laughs> the next election. But, right? But we love on our president, right? We love on our pastor. We love on our teachers and, and our governors and all the people that are over us. Why? Why? Because God has asked us to pray for him in these moments, right? Well, God is good, um, and He is gracious, and He is loving, and I'm thankful for His Word. Um, So we see um, all throughout today, right? I think, you know, one main reason that Paul might be writing this for Timothy is just to be a good leader. I think Sarah might have mentioned that earlier, right? Just be a good leader in, in your life, right? Not only as a preacher, but as a good Christian, right? You have a lot of friends around you. Be a good leader, right? Show them what it means and to, to truly believe in God, right? That you abstain from sin, right? That you abstain from uh, drinking or you abstain from sex or you, that you abstain from um, all the things that the world says okay, right? The world says that a lot of things are okay that are not okay in God's book, right? And the way you really make a statement is if you stand up against that and say, all right, that's, that's not who I am, right? I'm not going to associate uh, myself with that. So as a pastor in these moments, right, Timothy is being challenged, right? He'll, he'll say later on that, that he should live above reproach. And I think all Christians should try to strive to, to that motto, right, to live above reproach, that no one can put our character into question. Well, I will close this in prayer, um, and then we can be on our way. So let's pray. Dear Father God, I thank you so much for allowing us to be here tonight to read your word and, and hopefully understand your word and learn some things from it, God. Um, some tough passages, Lord, that honestly need some more depth and need some more um, discussion over, God. But I'm um, thankful for your Holy Spirit and I'm thankful for the understanding that you bring for us in these moments, God. 
And I thank you for the greatest understanding that anyone could ever have, God, the, the greatest knowledge that anyone could ever know, that your son, Jesus, has come to die for our sins, that we truly need a mediator, someone to stand in the gap for us, and because we are truly separated from you. Um, and without your son, we have no chance into coming into your, your kingdom, God. I pray that um, if it not be so for all of us tonight, Lord, that um, we would understand what it means to uh, to be a sinner, Lord, that we all have sin in our life. We're all separated from you. And without your son, that we are designated for a place called hell, God, a place that is real and a place that um, that sinners go to, God. But thanks be unto you for your kindness, for your grace, and for your mercy that we can uh, bypass the hell, Lord. That through your son Jesus and through his death on the cross, we have life and we are uh, brought to that understanding, hopefully. Um, I thank you for all that you've given us tonight. I pray that you be with us throughout this week. Um, in Jesus' name I do pray. Amen.